This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you to get to know the biblical Christ. We are in the midst of our study of Revelation chapter 18, titled, The Worst Economic Collapse of All Time. This is a strategic chapter in the final book of the Bible, so we have devoted three Truth Encounters to the discussion of this chapter. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he exposes how the materialism of a great world-class city will attack those who are committed to the biblical Jesus. Dave? John the Apostle is saying to the people of God, he's also giving an appeal of great to those living in this great city. You need to come out of her because this city is going to come crashing down. You need to not live for those values because those values will crash down. And what God is saying is that my judgment's going to come upon her because that secular city, that idolatrous, materialistic city is a great enemy to God. It's a great enemy to Jesus. Now, we like to get a visible enemy. Like, we like to get some visible enemy that we can really nail. And we like to grab a hold and say, man, that's the enemy. But I want you to realize that the enemy is materialism. The enemy is the idolatry of what materialism can bring. And during the tribulation period, what's going to happen is this great, materialistic, idolatrous, prideful kingdom is going to lower its guns against the people of God. And during the tribulation period, what's going to happen is this great, materialistic, idolatrous, prideful kingdom is going to lower its guns against the people of God. The Jewish people and the Jewish people are reaching out to Gentile people. And as God begins to cause many people to respond to the truth of Messiah Jesus during the tribulation period, there's going to be a tremendous animosity against that work of God. During the tribulation period, it'll be very blatant like it is in many areas of the world. The southern Philippines, it's very blatant. If you stand up for Jesus, the forces that are aligned against you, the militant Islamic forces, will put you on a hit list and try to take you out. Why are they doing that? Because this spiritual battle is real. If you really believe in Jesus, you really teach his word, really believe he died on the cross, really proclaim his resurrection, it, it, it sets barriers, it puts down boundaries, and the enemy will attack that. And that's what this chapter is saying. What it's saying is that it's this materialistic, idolatrous system that's united with false religion. It's all cloaked in false religion and beautiful religious ceremonies, but in, the, in reality, it's just worshiping stuff. And that idolatrous Babylonian system will murder those that really believe in Jesus. And down through the centuries, that's been so. For example, as we think of what happened in, in the history of the Reformation, as people like Swingley and Luther and even some people within the church began to cry out, the just shall live by faith. And I think it's very important that we understand that there were people right within the Roman Catholic Church that didn't break away from it, that were saying, no, hey, it's, it's true the biblical doctrine. It's true the biblical doctrine that you're saved by faith alone. And we can't get saved by just being religious and keeping the sacraments and, and doing what the church leaders tell us to do. We need to get back to the Bible. There's movements today within the Roman Catholic Church that are crying out from within that church. We need to get to the Bible. We need to study what the Bible says. Whether it's Roman Catholicism or in our own branch, which is Protestantism, my dad had, had political Protestant leaders when he tried to proclaim the gospel on the radio across the nation. 
They did everything they could to get dead off the air in New York City. They signed petitions. They went to the networks. They said, he's not part of the Protestant Council of Churches, so he needs to be out of here. Tremendous opposition against the simple declaration of the gospel. And I want you to realize that it's not something you can say, well, it's only in this system over here. It'll infiltrate all different kinds of systems. Some of you can think of some churches that you started out in that were really proclaiming the gospel, really committed this book, and then slowly but surely they began to drift. And as they drifted, they began to move away from what this book presents. And then as you try to present the gospel, maybe in a Sunday school class or maybe to a young people's group, and you really said, Jesus is alive. He rose again from the dead. Man, you suddenly had the roof given on you. You were attacked. That's what Revelation is telling us is the reality of the opposition between Babylon and the people of God. And what the Lord is saying is that you can rest assured that your king of kings, God, is a great almighty judge. And ultimately, if you have been maligned for the sake of Jesus, if you have been persecuted for the sake of Jesus, what he's promising you is that there will be justice. And so this chapter begins with this angelic cry. You need to come out of this city because the great king of heaven, the real rule of the earth, is going to bring down judgment against the city. This idea of giving her double is an expression. It doesn't mean that God gives you double the punishment than what you deserve. It's the idea that he gives it in full measure. Just as Babylon worshipped materialism, persecuted the people of God, and lived for those things, God's going to deal with absolute justice against that. Look what it says in verse 7. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts. Now here we get her heart. In her heart she boasts, I sit as a queen. I will never be a widow and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plague will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by the fire for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. What it's saying here is that this city at the height of her power says I rule as the queen of the earth and I will never, never face Morning. I'll never face suffering. And what Revelation is telling you is what I told you a little bit earlier in our talk today. You see, materialism will, will say that you'll never, never suffer. You're a young person. You have a beautiful body. You have a healthy body. So you're out there just partying. You're out there just enjoying sexual immorality. You're out there just doing your thing. And what you're saying in your heart, I'm the queen of the earth. I'm the queen of the earth. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the Bible. I'm the queen of the earth. I will never face suffering. And the reason the word of God is so strong in this is that's a lie. That's an absolute lie. You're not the queen of the earth. I'm not the king of the earth. The people that you're working with, some of you that go to the office of the presidents of your company, and you think of them being the great leaders of the earth, the great power broker of the earth. I want you as a child of God, whenever you're in a meeting, you need to really understand, I'm the one that has the King of Kings living in my heart. And he has a lot bigger plan than just what we're involved in now. And I'll never be totally enamored just by the plans and the dreams of this life. And only those plans and dreams that are really connected into what God is doing in the world and what God's glory is. That's what I want to get excited about. Because what this chapter is saying, it's really exposing the reality. Babylon lies. 
and says, I'm the queen of the earth. I'll never be a widow. I'll never face mourning. I'll never face destruction. I'll never face hard times. That's what London said at the height of her power before World War II broke out. London said, we're the queen of the oceans. We rule over all the planet. We rule. No one can ever take us. And then World War II broke out. And the city of London spent much of the next four years underground. Berlin, Hitler said at the height of World War II, I'm the queen of the earth. We're the queen of the nations. We'll never be destroyed. We're going to set up the Nazi kingdom that will last for the next thousand years. And he ended up his life committing suicide in a bunker with the Allied forces putting bombs, just leveling the city of Berlin. That's what this chapter is saying. You can learn it from history. You can learn it from God's word. And we're going to learn it at the end of time. And we're going to be looking at it from the heavenly gallery. But this great, almighty, ultimate city, a city much grander than anything you can imagine, is going to be saying, we're the queen of heaven. We'll never be a widow. We'll never have to cry because we've got everything together. That's exactly what Satan tells you. Satan tells you that when you're riding high. When you're out there, like when you go away to college, some of you high school students, Satan tells you that your first year. You're young. Mom and dad are fitting the bills. And if they give you a good credit card, they might not find out what you're blowing it on. And what you'll say in your heart, I'm the queen of the earth, I'm the king of the earth, and I'll never face mourning. And that can be like a drunken stupor that comes over you, a literal one and a spiritual one. And it can cause you to just begin to live materialistically. And the tragedy that is, real life will suddenly hit you. And hard times will come, crying times will come. And what happens then is then you have nothing left but demonic hordes. And they whisper at you, you're going to die. Why don't you just take your life? You could never go back to mom and dad anyway. You could never tell them, you know, what you're experiencing, what you've done. But I can think of some of you that have said, no, I can be with God and I can love my Savior because he's a Savior of grace. And I adore him and I love him. Some of you as adults can remember when you wandered for many years and then you started having kids and God began to reawaken the spiritual dimension inside your heart again. And you began to have the lights turned on. You began to love Jesus again. And some of you can even remember that God used the time of mourning. He used the time of suffering to do that. He used the time of crying to cause you to realize that this material stuff wasn't going to be enough. And so you learn that unlike this babbling during the tribulation period, man, I'm not going to say that in this life I'm not going to have hard times. I'm not going to say that I'm never going to have to be a widow or have to be a widower. I know that that's what the reality of life can bring. And that's why I want to grab a hold of a Savior who will keep me, keep me safe, keep me together, keep me in love, give me joy forever and ever and ever. Now, how did the kings of the earth respond? You would expect the people of God, they city this city during the tribulation period, the remnant of the people of God that see the city go down, they're going to have a reaction. Oh, God had brought about his justice. But I want you to look at how the political leaders respond. They kind of sing a song here in verse 9. When the king of the earth, that would be the political leader of the earth, who committed adultery with her. Now, these would not be the kings that were joined with Antichrist, the ten kings that are part of his fiefdom. This would be some of the other national rulers. And they were all a match with this great world economy. It said that they had shared in her luxury. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn, terrified at her torment. They will stand off and cry. Whoa, whoa, oh, great city, oh, Babylon, city of power. That's what politicians worship. 
Brothers and sisters, one of the things that just we really need to understand is we live in a world that thinks that God doesn't have any power. We think that evolution, just materialistic evolution, can bring everything into being. Those of you that believe in a personal God, those of you that believe in a, in a real God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're ridiculous. You're stupid. You don't know where the real power lies. I want you to stop and think. If there really is this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there really is this God that before there even was a material world, he was existing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he loved so much that he created the world because he wanted to have a new group of persons that would unite with his three persons in one that would love him and enjoy him and, and would give him glory and give him praise. And so he created the human race, and then that human race chooses to walk completely against him and act as if he doesn't even exist. They laugh at people that think he exists. They laugh at people that think he sent his son. They call his son just a great teacher. They call his son just a good rabbi. They call his son, some of them even call him a maniac, and when anything goes wrong in their life, they usually curse the son and say, Jesus Christ, and blame him for everything. If you were that almighty God... How do you think you would feel? If you really is this God, and that's what you need to think, because I want you to know the choice you need to make and I need to make is do I really believe there's this kind of a God? You know who really holds the power? It's not all the big cement executives and all the big industrialists. That's not who really holds the power. Some of you are it. Some of you work in those places. Some of you are even the power in those places. Come on, you know you're really not powerful. You have a little ticker in your heart that you know, in your chest that pumps away and it could stop. You feel little tremors as you grow older. You get slower and slower and slower. This chapter wakes us up. Those of you that are with me in this, those of you that believe with me in this, I want to give you encouragement because you need to remember where the power really lies because it changes the way you live when you realize that my king of kings, my daddy in heaven, He's not biting his fingernails and he's not all, you know, out of control and feeling that everything's going to the dogs. He's the mighty, powerful one. The kings of the earth thought that Babylon, this great economic world power, they thought Babylon was the power. They thought Babylon really had it together. They were wrong. In one hour, Babylon was gone. And all the power structures that you rely upon, they'll suddenly just be gone. As I look back over my ministry, I remember when people lived for Braniff Airlines. I had close friends that coveted becoming pilots with Braniff Airlines. I remember, you know, there were for young men and women that wanted to be flight attendants with Braniff Airlines. I would go out and, you know, I'd meet with some of my friends that worked with Braniff, and they would talk about, man, we've never had parties like we have at Braniff. And, man, look at the color of the airplane and everything. We are the Withed Airlines. I mean, we are really going. You all smile at me now. You said, Braniff? Braniff what? Now it's Southwest Airlines or Delta, American. On and on it goes. You think, man, that's hung the moon. Well, you all know from your industries, man, those power things, bang, they're gone. So don't live for those things. The king of the earth worship this power. They say, man, in one hour, all that power is gone. The city of power, in one hour, your doom has come. Look at how the merchants of the earth respond. The merchants of the earth, they will weep and mourn. Now, these merchants are the traders, the, the ships, those that control the ancient equivalent of our airlines and those who had all the big trucks getting all the goods. 
It says the, the merchants more because no one can buy their cargoes anymore. And then it goes through a list of all the different cargoes in the ancient Roman world. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet. It goes right down through. Look at the very end of the list. And the bodies and souls of men. The materialistic world, when you worship material things, you'll always end up being a slave. You'll always just be the body and soul of a slave. If you worship today just material things, then you're just as bondage as our precious brothers and sisters, the blacks that were enslaved in early America. If you're worshiping material things, then you're just a body. And some of you deep in your soul that are worshiping your companies, believing in your companies, saying, man, that's my whole life. You've become a slave. And some of you dads and moms, you're so worried because, man, you're, you think your security relies there. So when, you, when your boss can give you a little tremor and it ruins your whole life for several weeks, you become a slave. You become just a bond slave. And I want to share with you that as a child of God, as a believer in Jesus, God doesn't want you to be a slave. God wants you to be a free person. He wants you to do a good job. He wants you to work hard at your job. But he doesn't want you ever to get your security from your job. He doesn't want you to let the materialistic world turn you into just a slave. That you just live for, for paychecks. You just live for what that company can give you. That's your whole life. As a child of God, you need to be able to say, Lord, if you want me to work for this company, great. I receive as a gift. So thankful for it. Lord, if that caves in, if that company goes in the tank, if the economy goes in the tank, there will be something other, another way you'll provide for me. That sets you free. And that's where you decide, where do I believe the real power lies in my life? Who do you think really provides for you? Who do you think really meets your needs? And oh, I want you to pray that you'll just put all of your trust. It's God that provides for me. He's the one that really holds the power of my life. And I don't live just for all these goods coming in and out of my lives. I'm not going to become a slave. Look what it says in verse 14. The merchants say, the fruit you longed for is gone from me. All your riches and splendor have vanished away, never to be returned. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at the torment, and they will cry, Whoa, whoa, a great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth had been brought to ruin. Every sea captain, these are the ones that would be like the equivalent of our pilots. In the modern world, it's the airplanes that, that did what ships did in the ancient world. It says all the sea captains... And all those who travel, and to translate into the modern world, it would be all the pilots and all those who travel on the airplanes and then all the attendants and all the people that work for the airlines, all of those who earn their living from the transportation of all these goods, they're going to stand afar off when they see the smoke of her burning. They will explain, was there ever a city like this great one? They will throw dust on their heads with weeping and mourning and cry. Woe, woe, oh great city, where are all the ships in the sea which became rich through your wealth? In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Now, here's the contrast as this chapter comes to a climax. God's people rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, O saints and apostles and prophets, because God has finally judged the way that she treated you. Remember early in the book, we had the martyrs under the sixth seal crying, Lord, how long are you going to let our lives be butchered? How long are you going to let those that oppose you just take our lives and take away everything that we ever held dear? How long are you going to let that go on? The book of Revelation is crying out, only so long. And this is the chapter that says, God says, I've had enough. 
and this great economic materialistic system that opposed the things of God is going to attack them. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be really clear on this. There is a reason why when you go to the movies, they attack Jesus. And I want you to really listen to that. You need to think hard about that. Because that's materialistic Babylon. Why does she attack born-again Christians? Because you're the ones that have the truth. And I want you not to, to fight power with power, not with power, your own power, but I want you to fight the opposition with the grace and the power of Jesus. But I want you to realize that you're going to have to decide which one of these worlds you're going to live in, which one you're going to believe will really give you satisfaction. You can live like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman if that's the way you want to live. They make tons of money. They worship Scientology, which is just another brand of materialism, the spiritual forces that are within us. Jesus is not the Son of God. He did not rise again from the dead. He did not pay the penalty for our sins. You can just do it all yourself. And when you're young and you're beautiful and you're making millions of dollars, that's a great way to live, supposedly. And that's why they'll curse Jesus and they'll oppose those that are so-called Bible thumpers. What we're talking about in the book of Revelation, the siege of all that is present in the world that you live in. You're going to have to decide which side of the divide you're going to be on. Are you going to believe in Babylon or are you going to believe in the truth of Jesus? Are you going to rejoice when God finally pulls down this empty, secular, materialistic system or are you going to cry about it because you lost everything that you live for? That's what I'm trying to tell you. In fact, even as I talk to you, this message is hard. I can feel great opposition. It's just hard to get going. Not from you, but from the evil one. Because he doesn't want you to think hard about this religion of materialism and how at the end of the time it's going to be such a, a great collapse of this kingdom. He doesn't want you to rejoice in the things that we should really rejoice in. It says that rejoice over her, O heavens, rejoice because God has finally vindicated them. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone. This, you talk about a, a great visual climax. John the Apostle sees this vision of a mighty angel and God's going to act out. You, God loves drama. So he has one of his mighty strong angels picks up a great big millstone. It'd be like picking up a gigantic Colorado boulder. And he chucks it into the, into the ocean. And he says, that's the way Babylon's going to be destroyed. Just, it says he chucks this great big millstone. This isn't one of the millstones that a woman would use. But this is a millstone that a big ox in the ancient world would be used to grind the grain with. It says that, that with such violence, the city of Babylon will be thrown into the sea. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be hurting you again. Materialistic Babylon has great music. Has great music. But you need to realize that the music that's centered in just this life, just sex, just what this life can bring, just money, will be over forever. And only the sounds that have really exalted Jesus and really exalted his love and his grace are going to last. It says, no workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The scent of a millstone will never be hurting you again. There's going to come a day, if you want to be a builder forever, if you want to be able to use your hands forever, you need to use your hands and do your building for the glory of God. Because if you use it in Babylon, there's going to come a day when you're not going to be able to build anymore because it'll be over in secular Babylon. If you build for Jesus, you'll be able to use those gifts forever. It says, the light of a lamp will never shine on you again. The voice of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard from you again. If you live from materialistic Babylon... There will come a day when you're never going to have the joy of weddings, never going to have the thrill of, of a new bride being united with a bridegroom. 
Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. And then the chapter will go into 19 and it leads kind of a great antiphony of pray to the Lord and Jesus coming back. And it makes us have to decide because chapter 19 moves right in to the close of the end of Babylon, the end of this great city during the tribulation period, and then Jesus comes and sets up a new kingdom. What I want you to know is that there is a city that's going to last forever and ever. There's a new Jerusalem that's going to have beautiful music and beautiful goods that the Lord has provided for us. It's going to be a city that's filled with color and all kinds of joyous things. And we have to decide. You're going to live for the new Jerusalem. You're going to live for Babylon. You have to make the call. Which city are you living for today? Are you devoted to Christ and His kingdom? Or are you devoted to the excitement, the pleasures of what money can provide for you today? Why accept Jesus? Because in the end, whether it's the end that Revelation 18 predicts for this end-time vanity fair, or whether it's the end of your life, there is nothing that money can provide for you that you can take into eternity. Jesus can give you pleasure and joy that lasts forever.